This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself self-guided public land elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate your support. Today, we're sitting down with a BAMF from Colorado, Charlie Pappas, uh, normal blue-collar dude. You guys haven't heard of him. He's not Insta-famous, doesn't have a YouTube channel, doesn't have sponsorships, but he should. I mean, if we're measuring badassery, Charlie is a, a total stud construction guy, owns his own company, works his tail off, and just gets after it like like all of you probably. Loves to get after elk as well. He's been elk hunting, I believe, since 2012. We'll find out all about him on the podcast. And he even has a fitness challenge that he didn't know this, but I knew about. And we're going to throw it out there for all y'all, myself included. I have to do it, and I'm not looking forward to it. It involves a salt bike. Um, and if you don't know anything about an air bike from Assault Fitness, uh, you will if you get a chance to try one out. So elk shape-wise, we had a little giveaway if you went on to iTunes and gave us a review, you were automatically entered to win. We just did the drawing. And so looks like Cody21Peterson. If that's you, get a hold of me. Email me, elkshape at gmail.com. Let me know that's you. Get me uh, your address. I'm going to ship out a Hamski. Let me know if you're left-handed or right-handed. So thank you, Hamski Archery. And thank you, Cody21Peterson. His review was a five-star Win the day and always hustle. Elk Shape has taught me how to get better in all aspects of life, including strengthening my marriage, raising three kids, grinding through my college degree, 
building my faith, working construction, and working to punch that first archery elk tag. Dan is an amazing example, and for me, he's the most relatable person in the hunting industry. Thank you for the kind words, Cody. I I do. That is humble to read that and to know that we're having an impact on you know on you that that's everything for me uh i didn't set out to do elk shape full time to get rich that's that's a fact but i did set out to chase my passion which is basically fitness and elk hunting and personal development and trying to help people find the best possible version of themselves elk shape camp 4.0 just wrapped up in oregon it was amazing if any of those guys are listening thank you for all your hunger and humility and willingness to get better. I feel like that was probably one of our best delivered camps. Obviously, we're getting better as we do each camp, but we also pivot at each camp given who we have at camp. And that camp was honestly pretty green when it came to elk hunting. I think only one guy had actually killed a couple of elk. Everybody else was still trying to get through that learning curve. So we really got to dive in on elk hunting tactics, elk hunting in general, as far as over-the-counter and elk behavior and obviously we broke down archery and obviously we broke down fitness and goal setting and and just created you know a blueprint on how to win the day every day 365 in the name of better elk hunting in the name of filling your freezer so thank you all next up is texas we're going to uh cinnamon creek ranch we got a few spots left there the discount code is lakewood 50 that'll get you 50 dollars off when you go to the registration page you can you can navigate there from elkshape.com you're smart enough to figure that out but uh the upper left hand corner of the registration page on eventbrite is where you would enter that discount code word to the wise and right now i want to promote 90 days to freedom arguably the most affordable home gym program regardless of the equipment you have you can do it scale it up scale it down built for hunters it's not easy but it is obtainable and then it will keep you going for the full 90 days give it a shot what do you got to lose uh do not spend thousands of dollars on workout programs Rather have you probably invest in workout equipment that's going to last you a lifetime for your garage gym and or buy an extra elk tag and or put in more gas in your truck and do more scouting. That's what we got going on. I want to get down to Charles Pappas. This guy's out of Colorado. He is an absolute beast. You're going to find that out real quick. And he was a late adopter when it came to hunting in life. Picked it up not too long ago in 2012, but he's been consistent. And he kind of shares his secret sauce on how he's getting it done in Colorado. So I think you guys will enjoy this one. As always, we appreciate you. Tell a friend or good buddy about our podcast and what we're all about. Keep grinding in the name of Better Elk Hunting. And remember, separation is in the preparation. Yep, I got you loud and clear. Can you get, you got me? Crystal. Crystal cleared. Let's jump right in. I know you're busy. Just got done reading your intake form, and then I just got so stoked to have you on today. I'll tell you, everybody, what I'm talking about. This guy, I'm just going to embarrass you, uh, started hunting without a mentor in 2012. Just decided to go for it. We're going to get into that. Pretty much dominated Train to Hunt Challenge, got second, first try ever, went into the finals with a 45-minute lead because of your fitness level, but... You wrote it, I'll say it, you can't outrun bad shooting. Uh, it says you're training for some pretty sick events in 2020 uh, that are 
all intended to make you the best possible version of yourself for your family and for hunting. Uh, you got a 100-mile race coming up, and you got a documentary being filmed about it. You're a wilderness athlete rep. I mean, dude, we're going we're gonna to dive deep. And then Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So before we get carried away, there's something I got to get off my chest. And is, Do you go by Charlie? Yep, Charlie. Charlie, uh, you posted something on Instagram that just kind of fired me up. You said, I think you said, when you get to 1,000 calories on the Assault Air Bike, it starts over to zero. Yep. Then you posted your time, and it was like 56-ish minutes. Is that correct? Correct. You are an a-hole. So I I was like, oh, dude, it's uh, Sunday. I'm going to hop on the bike. I'm going to do 1,000 calories and flush. 600 calories later at an hour at, at 56 minutes your time i was at 600 calories and i was like uh good enough so what the heck dude i mean you're a beast uh i appreciate it man yeah i, I definitely i definitely enjoy pushing myself um that's for sure wow well let's get into your background man uh tell us a little about yourself yeah, yeah, like you mentioned. So I grew up in uh, Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and uh, I I wasn't I didn't really get into hunting until later in my life. Uh, I grew up as an athlete. I ski raced uh, most of my life, and uh, uh, was pretty big into football in high school. Um, and then after high school, uh, I had a few injuries uh, with football that prevented me from going on and having any uh, any luck in college. Uh, but I started playing rugby when I was in college um, and fell in love with that sport. And uh, I captained the CSU men's rugby team for a couple years and uh, played in a few men's league after that. So uh, athletics have you know, always been, been part, of, part of me and part of who I am. Uh, but it wasn't until after, um, after college that, that hunting came about. Uh, I didn't go on my first big game hunt until – I think it was 2012. Uh, I just picked up a third season uh, over the counter tag and went out with a buddy for a deer. Yeah, it was a deer tag, and uh, it was a rifle deer tag. And uh, you know, the whole time we're sitting there uh, looking for trying to trying to find muleys, he's sitting there talking about archery season. And uh, apparently, that that third season tag wasn't good enough, and he just wanted to talk about warmer weather bulls screaming, uh, and, in you know, a better time in the field. And so I got a little bit interested in it and, uh, went to the pawn shop a couple months later and picked up a bow and fell in love with, uh, I guess trying to learn how to <laughs> learn how to shoot. I didn't really have a mentor, like you said, teaching me archery or anything like that. And, uh, 2013, I had my first archery season. Um, and then from there, I've never really looked back. I've just dove in head over heels and absolutely fallen in love with love with the sport. Yeah, let's dive in. First year archery hunting. Can you give us the good, the bad? Yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I didn't know anything. All I knew was that I needed to go buy a bow, and I wanted to get into it. Uh, but uh, I, a lot of stuff that I had participated in the. In the past, I had I put my dues, I paid my dues to make it to uh, to kind of the top. And when you're uh, when you're coming from being, you know, a, a higher level athlete, and you're trying to go into a new sport, sometimes your ego or um, other aspects might humble you a little bit. And I didn't even know where to begin. Um, I, I didn't have the courage to go into the archery shop to get started. So. 
uh, flat out. I went to the pawn shop and probably bought the wrong bow. Um, I, 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 it was a, it was a, it was a right-handed bow. So that was a good start. Um, were you a uh, right eye dominant? Uh, yeah. Okay. That's good. At least you didn't do what I did. I bought my first bow from a pawn shop and uh, I was left eye dominant. Didn't know that for until several years later. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, uh, I had, it had a left-handed quiver and a left-handed sight. Both of them were mounted upside down. It was a Matthew switchback. <laughs> so, and I didn't know better until I compared it to Buddy's bow and I thought his was wrong. Um, uh, but little did I know, um, you know, and from there I went straight to, uh, straight to the YouTube, like we all do these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what better place to go to learn how to shoot a bow than YouTube? So, uh, I spent a few days driving past the archery range studying when nobody was going to be there. And, uh, once I found out nobody was there, that's when I would go shoot because, <laughs> uh, I had my phone out and, uh, trying to figure it out based upon YouTube. Um, but I spent that entire summer shooting and trying to get the hang of it, you know, trying to pick up from guys at the range. And from there I went into my first archery season. I didn't have any idea what I was doing, where to start. And luckily I, I had the opportunity to go with that gentleman that, that took me on that rifle hunt. Uh, he's a buddy of mine. He was, uh, you know, he was, he was archery hunting as well. And at the time I didn't quite understand where his head was at, but now that I've been doing it for a few years and I'm starting to take first timers, I have a world of respect for what he did for me, uh, by allowing me to go out there and, and hunt with him. Um, you know, we only get so many days in the field and for you to take the time to take somebody out there that's a first timer, uh, it, it's, it's taken a lot out of your schedule. So looking, looking back, like what were some of the things he did that we could strive to duplicate if we're going to mentor, you know, other hunters or, you know, late life hunters or even kids? I I would say, I think not what he did, but what he didn't do would be a better place to start. Again, he was a good friend, not older role model or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, spending a little bit of time, you know, either in the pickup truck or on the hike in explaining what you're going to be walking into, what to expect. Um, and also explaining to that, you know, it, it is hunting. And I think when you first get into hunting or you first get into archery, I think due to social media, unfortunately, everybody thinks you're going to go out and you're going to harvest an elk and you're going to come home with something to hang on the wall. And that's kind of the picture that's painted uh, by most most platforms these days. They don't. Nobody realizes that there's guys that hunt years and years and years and don't even see an animal, uh, let alone harvest them. And I think, you know, painting the picture of the of the statistics uh, rate would be a great place to start. But also, kind of what to expect and 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 how to handle yourself uh, when you're put into a situation. Um, you know. How close is, uh, you know, when do you need to shut it down and, um, you know, keep the lips, uh, lips sealed and kind of move in quietly and when can you go hard? Uh, but you know, that, that comes with years of experience to learn, but trying to put that in perspective, I had the opportunity this past year to take a first time archer, first time hunter actually. And and it was his first time archery hunting out. And, uh, that was my main, my, my main goal walking in and, and the, the night before we went out camping, uh, trying to explain to them, you know, what to expect and, uh, in, in certain scenarios, what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think kind of just painting the picture on the front end, but I mean, the willingness just to take me out there and put me in the woods was, was 
more than I could ever ask for. That's what got me hooked. Uh, we, we didn't, you didn't have to do much hunting related. You just had to get me out there and you know, you hear one bull scream, you're hooked. Yeah. So your first year out for archery elk in Colorado, did you get into them pretty good? Did you ever get full draw? Did you, I mean, what did you learn that first year? Uh, we learned, you know, he's, he's six foot four and he moves through the woods, very equivalent to an elk. He can, this guy just, he just moves and he, he, he hauls through the woods. And, uh, that first year out, I learned how to bump elk really good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what we did was we spent a lot of time just pushing elk around. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get into him. Uh, never had the opportunity to have a shot. Um, but definitely got into them and, and pushed them around. So, you know, you, you know, growing up in Colorado and growing up in Steamboat, you know, you see, you see elk, but until you're in the woods for that purpose, uh, you don't really appreciate it. No doubt. No doubt. And now are, you've, you've been at it since 2013 archery elk. Have you had success yet in the field? Yeah. So 13, no success. 14, got my first bull. Um, and then I've just gone 50, 50 every year since then for bulls. Um, uh, so 14 got a bull 15, no luck 16. I was able to, uh, get a, a bull on a solo hunt, which was, uh, an eye opening experience. That was pretty incredible because I had spent the previous three years kind of, or previous two years really side by side with guys hunting in the woods and, uh, that particular weekend we went out, we were, we camped with it. There's a group of us that camped together. Um, but, uh, I, I tend to rely on my fitness and my capabilities to put me in the right place at the right time. And some of the guys I was hunting with weren't quite at the same level fitness wise, or weren't willing to cover the same amount of ground. And it was kind of that morning was, well, you know, I'm going here and if you want to go with me, let's go. Uh, but you need to go at the same pace as me. Otherwise I'll see you back at camp tonight. And we agreed to split up and I was able to, uh, knock down my first bull by myself, um, that season. And, you know, I was able to hike out, get cell phone service and have them come in and help me pack them out. But just to, just to, uh, have the, have the kill on my own was, was something special for sure. And then, uh, 17, uh, I, wait, 15, no luck. Then 16, I no 17, no luck, 18 opening morning. I was done within the first 15 minutes. Um, and that was credited to a lot of, a lot of scouting and a lot of planning. And then last year I didn't get a, I didn't get a bull. I ended up pulling a cow out the last day of the season. Nice. So you've, you've learned a lot in these last few years and, there's no question you have an advantage. You live in Colorado. You live at altitude. You can scout. These guys that – a lot of guys come to Colorado because of the over-the-counter opportunities, like 90-plus units. Uh, well, maybe not anymore. They made some changes. We'll talk about in a second. But, you know, great state. Great state. Most elk of any state, great opportunity over-the-counter. A lot of Midwest, East Coast guys travel to Colorado. Plus, it's not as far as, say, like Montana or, you know – other states it's got you know a nice central airport or you can drive 24 hours and be there so here's my questions what give me three things that you've that will probably change somebody listening's game when they're when you're fighting your way through the learning curve and the learning curve isn't just finally getting an elk it's like getting consistent at killing elk three top things 
number one thing for me and something you've talked about on several podcasts in the past is understanding how aggressive you can be with that animal. And it's still every year it's an eye-opening experience. I become a more and more aggressive hunter and it puts me in more and more opportunities. Uh, so I think understanding how aggressive you can be, uh, but for somebody that's coming from out of state, uh, you know, due to the, due to the internet and, you know, the apps that we have, uh, available to us, there's a ton of opportunity to do the legwork on the front end before you even hit the ground. Um, I, I think that, you know, doing online scouting is huge. I do live in Colorado, but you know, I, I live in Denver and, uh, I'm, I'm several hours from my closest hunting place and I'm a, I'm a weekend warrior when it comes to scouting. So I, I rely a lot on internet, uh, for scouting. Um, like I said, being aggressive, uh, I think those are the two biggest things for me is, is, you know, trying to do some legwork on the front end. Uh, and then once you're there, don't be afraid to, to get aggressive. Solid advice. I like the, uh, the fact that, yeah, I live close to elk, relatively speaking, but man, it is hard to get boots on the ground. Whether you talk about family obligations and balancing your portfolio of selfish hunting, scouting time, and, and being there for kids' events, and oh yeah, you're married, you know, things like that. You got to just, it's a it's an interesting deal, but I would say, speaking of being married, my wife is blowing up my phone. i trying to shut my phone off. Sorry about that. The, uh, the thing that you said the most there is that you can control a lot of things leading up to the season. And you mentioned digital scouting, you know, obviously your fitness is huge shooting your weapon and mental toughness. Now you talked about your year where you went with the guys and you guys shared a camp, but nobody was, let's just say what it is. And I might soapbox here for a second, so forgive me. But nobody was on your level when it came to fitness. And you elected to go solo, and you did that for probably you felt like that was going to be your best opportunity, and it worked out for you. I'm kind of in the same boat a lot of times. Not that I'm super fit, but I've heard the argument, and I want to talk about this real quick with you and get your take. I've heard the argument that you don't have to be in great shape to kill elk. You just have to be mentally tough. Now, I can't argue with any of that. That's really cool. But if you're mentally tough and not fit, you're not as mentally tough as you could be because to be fit requires discipline. And discipline is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It is a mental decision to do the shit you don't want to do every day when it's inconvenient, when it's early, and when it requires sacrifice. How much tougher or mentally prepared could somebody be who was already organically tough if they chose to be disciplined get up early, do the workout, not put the barbell down when it hurts or when your lungs are crying for oxygen, and to be consistent at shooting your weapon, they could elevate even higher. What's your thoughts on mental toughness, what I like to call mental preparedness, and the weight room and how they align? Yeah, I mean, I'm a firm believer. Like I'll be the first one to tell you I am not a good hunter, but I'm a hard hunter, and I I want everything – every competitive advantage I have over the animal I'm trying to harvest and whether that's, you know, mental toughness, uh, physical capabilities, shooting, uh, the particular setup, the arrow weight, the broadheads, everything. I, I'm always trying to elevate my game to have every competitive advantage over an elk. Cause I mean, let's face it, those animals spend their entire life trying not to get killed. 
And my job is to go out and kill one. And so for me, I, I want every competitive advantage. And I think that, you know, what you hit, you hit it on the head when you said, you know, not put the bar down when it starts to hurt. Uh, it's not, I mean, you can go out and go for a day hunt and be fine. But when you're stacking day after day after day on top of each other, and, you know, what, what people don't realize is, you can go to the gym, you know, five days a week, but you can, but you get to go home and you get to sleep in your nice bed and you get to take your nice shower and your wife cooks food for you. But when you're in the field, you don't have that. Uh, I mean, you're sleeping on a, you're sleeping on an air pad. If you're lucky, uh, I spend most of my nights in a tent. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm eating the same dehydrated stuff that everybody else is. Um, you know, I wish I was as good as some guys like Lampers and others with the dehydrated food, but I'm not. Uh, so your diet's all over the place, your sleep's all over the place and you're having to do it day after day after day. So putting that grind in, you know, outside of the season is, is huge. And, you know, like I said, you want every, every advantage to be in the field to where, you know, I've had guys that I got, I got a solid group of guys I hunt with now and I started hunting with them. I guess we, one of them has been hunting with me for the past three or four years uh, the other two just started two years ago and the first year out, they were definitely limited on where they could go and what they could do. And they saw that I had kind of little patience for it. Um, I was going to go do my thing. Like I said, in the beginning, we only have so many days we can go out and hunt. And if I've got somebody with me, that's, uh, limiting, you know, where I can go and what I can do. Unfortunately, I'm a little bit selfish and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go after them, uh, to where, these guys have, have really stepped it up in the off season with their training to where last year we went out and there was nothing holding anybody back. And it made for some of the greatest hunting trips, uh, you know, we could ask for because they were willing to put the time in out, you know, outside of, you know, a month before the season, you know, they're shooting their bows right now. They're lifting weights right now with, you know, one goal in mind and that's to harvest an elk. Yeah. So this podcast for me is like, how can we give away, the information, like takeaways, not be fluffy and, and cute, but like just straight up, let's get practical. So I don't know how or how you got so fit. I think you have some, you know, obviously some incredible work ethic, but takeaways for people like that want to inch their way closer to being limitless versus limited. And let's just keep Colorado on the forefront since you are from there. That's where you hunt. I mean, where – What's the average elevation your elk have died? If you could look back and kind of give me a number and then work from there. What are the most practical things people can do that's going to give them the most bang for their buck? 9,000 feet, I would say, is usually where they're dropping. 9,900 9, feet. So, uh, you know, not, not crazy high, but for somebody that's coming from out of state, that's, that's plenty elevation gained. Um, and I think, you know, the stuff to do outside of the season is, you know, the, the rucking, you know, working with the heavy pack. Um, you know, there's, there's so many people out there that are, you know, they spend their time, you know, in stationary positions doing lifts in front of mirrors, um, trying to gain, you know, trying to gain size mass or, you know, drop body fat. And there's no mirrors in the woods. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter what you curl, um, or what you bench press. Now, I think there's benefits to having a well-rounded, uh, you know, overall physique, but I think doing the stuff that applies to uh, what you're going to be doing in the field is key. Um, you know, w- whether it's moving a heavy backpack or it's, you know, 
it's long durations day after day after day. I think that that's, that's key. You know, I think pushing yourself to the point where you think you're done and then realizing that you're not done. I think uh, one of the biggest gains for me is, you know, social media has its, has its ups and downs, but, you know, for me to be able to, you know, come across guys like yourself and some of the other guys out there that are just out there grinding every single day, it, it opened my eyes to what, you know, what my capabilities are. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, thousand calories on the assault bike. I just happened to see another guy trying to do a thousand calories. He said he was working up towards it. He was at 800 calories in just over an hour. And I was like, man, maybe I should try that. I, and then I, you know, I, I gave it one attempt and I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And I was like, no, I, I can't settle for that. If this guy's doing it, I know I can do it. If he's, if, I mean, we put our pants on the same way, you mm-hmm. know, one leg at a time, I can get on the bike and I can grind just like him. So I think pushing yourself to, you know, that point of exhaustion and, and digging deep mentally and, and pulling more out of you is huge because there's, there's nothing worse than being in the field and seeing an elk or, or, you know, glass an elk up on the next ridge over and not having it in you to be able to get there. Um, yeah. I've, I've, I've been with guys there before, you know, I had a, I had a running joke this past season with a buddy. We were glassing the night before opener and probably, I don't know, three and a half, four miles away, uh, several thousand feet in elevation gain. We glassed up, uh, a, a nice bull and, you know, he kept telling me that that's a cow, and I asked him why. He's like, "Well, there's no way there's that there's bulls that far from camp. There, there can't be." And I was like, "Well, we're going there in the morning," and that's what we did. We got on him, and he had a shot opportunity. You know, first morning. Um, so, I mean, being able to dig deep and, and push yourself to the next level is is really where I find success. I love it. Well, before we get too far down the road, let's just back back up and make sure I got all the details on you. So. You live in Denver. Uh, you own a construction company. What's your day to day look like? Yeah, so I partnered up with a guy a couple years ago and uh, started a general uh, contracting firm. Day to day for me is, um, you know, we got a small group of guys. There's eight of us, so I'm, I'm managing our guys, but I'm also out building relationships and trying to bring in the next project, close the next deal. I spend most of my day traveling around the Denver metro area, either checking on projects or trying to tee up the next project. Um, you know, I spent I spent my younger years swinging hammers and 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 actually physical labor, and I've transitioned out of that. Unfortunately, I spend a lot of my time either behind my steering wheel or behind my keyboard, mm-hmm. uh, which wears on me. But uh, I find balance outside of uh, working hours to to offset that. Um, but yeah, so most most of my days spent, you know, either in the truck or on the computer, uh, trying to get the next project lined up and making sure the current project's going well. And then I'm spending, you know, every weekend I can in the mountains, whether it's the winter or the summer. Uh, my wife and I are, are very committed to the outdoors, and we spend most of our weekends skiing or in the mountains as much as possible. Yeah, and I see that you do a great job of capturing some. Everybody should definitely be following Charlie on um, Instagram. He does a great job. He is just the kind of people you want to follow. Very motivating, inspiring, and authentic. Real, no fakeness. No, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, well, let's dig in on this hundred mile run um, documentary. I want to go there for sure. Sounds really cool. But first. You're a wilderness athlete kind of guy. So what? how long have you been working with wilderness athlete? Uh, 
and like what kind, what's that relationship like and how do you utilize the product? Yeah, absolutely. I guess to, to back it up a little bit, um, I, I met wilderness athlete through train to hunt. Um, I, you know, several years into archery, I was looking for something to elevate my game and I figured if I could, if I could do something that was physically demanding and causing me to shoot outside of, you know, the month of September, it would elevate my, my game. And, uh, so I signed up for train to hunt and I competed at that and I was able to qualify for nationals my first year. And, uh, at nationals, I, I, I met a few, uh, met Kevin, Actually, I just listened to your podcast with him, which was amazing. Uh, I met Kevin through Wilderness Athlete, and I made the switch to the products uh, shortly after that. And, uh, you know, I tried a ton of different products over the years, um, but a lot of my training is high intensity. My heart rate is pounding through my roof or through the roof. And so for me to find a product that I can use before I work out, after I work out, um, and to recover was, was important for me. So I made the switch to, to those guys, I think in 2018 and I haven't looked back, um, since. So, uh, my go-tos with them are their energy and focus. That's my, that's my pre-workout, whether I'm going to go run 15 miles or I'm going to sling weights in the garage. Um, and then the hydrate and recover, that's a, that's a no brainer for me. If somebody's not familiar with that product and they're going to be coming out to Colorado on a, uh, on an elk hunt, I would highly encourage them to pack that with them because it's in my bag the entire, uh, the entire time I'm in the field, um, trying to get me through the long weekends in the woods. Um, and then, you know, I use their brute, brute force protein as well. So. Yeah, dude. Wilderness athlete for me started out with them in the early hunting industry days and, uh, migrated away to mountain ops and then kind of had my fair share of them and then it it worked out where i came back to wa and i hate flip-flopping with companies i've kind of basically done it twice i did it with uh hoyt to matthews and then from basically mountain ops back to wilderness athlete and i'm pretty unfiltered so i may get in trouble for saying this but uh like western hunt expo you go there Mountain Ops has got a booth that's like six, seven, eight times Wilderness Athlete. They got a stage. They got people singing. They got all these cool, exciting, just, I don't know what you want to call it, just things going on. And then you flip it over and you just got Wilderness Athlete straight up. They got their booth. They got some samples and they just got some people, man. And for me, I'm, I don't like shiny objects, man. I like just real down to earth, you know, products that are going to work. And so I think it's just, you you have other options than these two companies. If you're a hunter, obviously the supplement industry is a multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry. And 80% of supplements are made in the state of Utah, if you didn't know that. Uh, but Wellness Athlete to me is a brand that has really done a good job of staying true to just helping hunters wherever they're at, on their journey. And I think that's really cool. And, and I really just think like my example of the expo just is kind of just maybe avoid the shiny things and, and maybe check out some of the more grassroots down to earth, just straight up, try the alert, try the hydrate recover, maybe get into some of the brute stuff and just see if it doesn't make a difference in your training recovery. And we have a discount code ElkShape30 exclusive for the listeners. And I'm sneaking that in here now in case you're like thinking about making an order. Your first order, 30% off, discount code ElkShape30, give it a shot. But when you get done with these runs and your training and all that stuff, like 
everything you do has to help you become better at life. I get that. But now you signed up for a 100-mile race and you're having a documentary filmed. Give us the nuts and bolts behind that, Charlie. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, so I actually, you know, I spent the past couple of years, I, I'm the type of guy that does really, really good. If I sign up for an event, my training is elevated. Um, I, I'll train hard year round knowing that I've got, you know, I've got a uh, hunting season coming up, but if I can put some sort of milestone between me and season that causes me to, you know, hone in and focus on something and elevate my training, I, I can push myself really hard. And so the past couple of years, uh, that, that was trained to hunt for me. And I would, you know, I, I did well. I was able to win the nationals um, two years ago. Then last year, like I said, uh, I, I had some poor shooting, which which caused me to take second. And this year, I, you know, I, I've, I've kind of made a decision not to train to hunt, and I'm looking at doing some other events. And one of the guys that competed with train in train to hunt with me last year, uh, you know, he was asking me if I wanted to do something, you know, big and epic this year, and. Long story short, we both agreed to run 100 miles, and uh, we're, we're actually not doing a race. We're just just the two of us are going for a 100 mile run, and uh, it's it's more of a mental test uh, than anything. Uh, there's definitely the physical side of it, but uh, we're not doing a race because we, you know, I don't I don't really care how I place or how I compare against somebody else. All I care is how I how I compare to myself and whether I can do it or not. Um, that particular gentleman that's that's doing the race with me. Um, he, he's, uh, has a ultra running, uh, coaching platform and has his own podcast and a few other platforms. And through that, we got linked up with a film crew that was looking to do a little bit more than just their day-to-day, uh, job. And we, uh, I guess my partner who I'm running with, he, he asked if they would want to be a part of it. And they jumped at the opportunity to document kind of our training from day one to, you know, the last mile that we run. And, uh, the gentleman that I'm running with Scott, he, uh, he lost his father a few years ago. And, uh, about a year after his father passed, I lost my older sister. And, and that kind of has had a huge impact on, on my life and my training. And, uh, so for the two of us, uh, we decided we wanted to do something kind of for, for more than just ourselves. And, uh, it's kind of a, a test, but, the whole premise is, is uh, doing it for those who can't. And uh, whether that's somebody that has a physical disability, a mental disability, or for some reason they can't get out and train day to day, we're doing it for them. Or maybe they, you know, they pass away far too young. Um, it's, it's us kind of putting ourselves to the test to see if we can do it. And uh, we're doing it for, you know, for more than just ourselves. Well, I, I don't even know what to say, man. So obviously you have the fuel for it with the passing of your older sister. Uh, how heavy is that, man? Like that's got to be, if you feel sorry for yourself, I think I think we both know there's a pretty easy way to overcome that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm a I'm a fairly open book and definitely a, a pretty compassionate, emotional guy. So I'm going to, I'll try to keep it together. But yeah, I mean, you know, losing my sister was a, uh, was a whirlwind for me. It, it, it completely rocked me. She was 34 years old and passed away from a brain aneurysm unexpectedly in Bozeman <sighs> oh and, God. uh, just kind of shook my whole family. But, you know, for me, uh, you know, some of the, 
some of the last memories I had with her was her uh, congratulating me on, you know, winning the national championship the year before. And, you know, just I have a voicemail from her that I, I still have today about her. You know, she's basically saying congratulations and, you know, you're a beast and keep it up. And mm. uh, it kind of it kind of resonated with me. So when I uh, when I go into the gym or I set out on a run or something like that, there's there's kind of more more to it than me just kind of going in and going through the motions. Um, you know, I used to be the type of guy that walk into the gym trying to burn a few pounds and, uh, you know, you, you get, you get complacent and you get lackadaisical and you kind of just go through the motions. Uh, but you know, having, having, you know, going through loss, it, it put things in perspective that, you know, you know, she or anyone else probably would, uh, you know, kind of appreciate the opportunity to do what, what we take for granted on a daily basis, you know, uh, you know, a thousand calories on an assault bike, like who wants to do that? Uh, there's probably a lot of people in wheelchairs around the world that would give anything to be able to do that. So, uh, it's, you know, you talked about when that bar gets heavy or you hit a wall, how to dig through it. And that's kind of where I tap. Um, you know, I, I, I go outside myself and look for it in other people, um, who may not have the opportunity to do it. That's powerful, Charlie. That's really powerful. Appreciate you sharing that because it is tough and we all will lose people throughout this life. It's part of, that's part of the deal. Um, but how you use that can be, um, really powerful or it can be detrimental to your health, well-being. So I like your style, and I think there's others that can relate to that. Do you know where this documentary will end up, or is that to be determined? You know, it's to be determined. You know, it's kind of a, you know, be honest with you, we don't, it's, you know, we're not doing a race, so there's a lot of logistics, a lot of plannings. We've got a pretty solid course set out. Um, we got to, you know, finalize the details. It's hard to do it with, you know, the amount of snowpack we have in the high country right now, you can't really go run any of the trails right now to make sure everything's going to tie out the way it is. And we're going to have aid stations where we need it. But, you know, the goal is, is, you know, to have this documentary, I'm sure it'll be, you know, we'll, we'll en enter it in some, uh, in some film festivals and stuff, but it's, it's just to tell a story of, uh, you know, two guys utilizing, uh, utilizing exercise to cope, um, is really what it's about. Uh, and then also the mental, the mental test of, you know, can you do it? You know, I think that there's, there's been a huge push, uh, in the outdoor industry, uh, with running, uh, you know, thanks to guys like, you know, Cameron Haynes, uh, it's pretty incredible what you, what you see. And, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that running a hundred miles is the, you know, the answer for everybody. Um, but, you know, I think that, finding a balance in life is key. And for me, uh, I, I try to, I try to balance my, the whole picture out. And for me to have a clear mental head throughout the entire year, uh, is key. And for me, that's going to be, you know, training for this run and, and com completing this run, but it all adds up to being able to go into season, uh, a much stronger and more mentally tough individual. No question. What gym do you go to? So I train, actually train at a gym here in Denver that's called Manic Training. Um, I was fortunate enough when I transitioned from football to rugby, a, uh, 
a uh, a rugby coach at the time, a uh, a Kiwi, a guy from New Zealand. He had just moved to Steamboat, started coaching a men's rugby team up that I was participating on uh, during the summers, and he kind of he he took me and a couple other guys under his wing and started training us in his garage, and that was back in I think probably 2007. And I'm not sure where CrossFit was at at that time, but the small town of Steamboat had never heard of CrossFit and didn't really have any high intensity training or anything like that. And he started training us in his garage with, you know, homemade sandbags and tires, sledgehammers. And we bought some dumbbells and weights from the fire department. And uh, he started training us in the garage and he started to see that there was some traction there and he ended up opening up a, a gym, and I think the first two months, three months he was there, he had to double the size, and he since has franchised out to a couple different lo- locations. But you know, it's uh, the type of training is a is a hybrid between uh, you know CrossFit and Orange Theory. I guess it would be the best way to describe it to somebody who's not actually one of the classes. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a hour long class, fifteen minute warm up, always a forty five minute workout. And it's always all body. Uh, there's never, we don't never have leg day, back day, chest, any of that kind of stuff. Um, the difference between the solid training I'm doing in CrossFit is I, I did CrossFit for years and I think it's, 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 it's amazing, uh, for the right people. Um, but some of the Olympic lifting, uh, doesn't always work with everybody. So what, where you'd be doing, uh, your snatches and stuff with, a bar we're using kettlebells or dumbbells and more single arm stuff yep. uh, to engage you know the entire body so uh, yeah i like that idea i think that we should talk about that because myself you know since i've stopped competing at crossfit and by the way i was never one of those individual crossfit athletes those guys are way way i was doing competitions when crossfit wasn't cool yet that's how i was able to go real far and make it to the crossfit games <laughs> you know what i mean Got in early, early uh, adopter. But, but truthfully, so when we had my second kid, my wife and I were like, we're done competing. This is just too much and it's selfish. So I had to scale down quite a bit, you know, no more two a days. You know, I would do Olympic weightlifting a lot because I, it, I, it was a weakness and I got really good and I can't even touch my numbers nowadays, but I still snatch with a barbell probably once a month. And I will try to do some sort of squat clean, Olympic cleaning, you know, or power clean, but I don't have jerk blocks and I don't do snatches off blocks and cleans off blocks and all those progressions and i rarely split jerk if i do it's a push press push jerk and we do a ton of kettlebell dumbbell stuff so i don't even know if i do crossfit per se i do know that i do functional fitness and that you know i work against the clock a lot of times whether it's be four time or as much work in a short amount of time like circuit training or even like interval based strength training where you kind of like have like EMOMs every minute on the minute, every two minutes. So it's like structured strength. I just want to be efficient, Charlie, get in and get out. Um, before we got on today and I posted on Instagram and everyone's willing to do this workout if you want. Um, I worked up to a heavy five rep back squat, not a max, just kind of a Monday squat day. And then, um, we did a conditioning piece that was just a 13 minute AMRAP and it was five power cleans, 10 front squats, uh, 25 overhead squats at 95 pound bar. So it's super light 
bar, but it really isn't light. It sucks. That's just a lot of volume. And then 30 cal ski erg, and you just try to get through as many rounds as possible. You could easily switch out that barbell for dumbbells, for kettlebells, for sandbags, all that kind of stuff. But my point is that I worked out for 30 minutes, man, and I'm good. That's that's all I'm going to do for today. And uh, I skipped my cool down just to get on the podcast with you. But like, seriously, for training for 100 miles, you don't have to run 100 miles a week, right? I mean, like, how are you going to template your training so you don't lose your functional fitness? You still hit the high intensity so you get the endurance benefits without the miles and pounding. Like, have you created the template for yourself yet? You know, it's. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, you know, it's something I'm working on right now. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I would say that if I didn't have access to the, you know, the gym that I do, uh, you know, the elk shape program would be something I'm doing. You know, I, I have the weights in my garage and, and I, you know, I try to, I mean, yesterday I was doing deadlifts in my basement, um, just to get extra stuff in, but I'm very, we, we train very similar when it comes to in and out, just get in, get the heart rate up, move some weight, break a sweat, get it done, move on to the rest of your life. Um, for me, you know, going into this hundred mile when my buddy asked me to do it, you know, the, the one thing I had, you know, I had to stress to him is that I'm not going to weigh 160 pounds and run a hundred miles a week. That's not me. I mean, I'm, I'm 205. I'm not built for running. Um, but I, I, I'm pretty confident in my capabilities. So my training in this is, uh, is pretty different than what most guys out there doing ultra running. And, you know, the nice thing is, is that my partner running with me, he's an ultra running coach. Um, but that being said, part of what he, he's looking forward to with this is, you know, can me and him, you know, maintain that 200 pound chassis and, and still be doing the, the, the functional fitness training that we're doing and, and still hammer this out? Or do we, do you, in order to do a hundred miles, do you really need to be able to go out and, you know, get a hundred miles in every week leading up to it? So for me, I'm not, I'm not going to sacrifice, uh, my, my strength and, and my size to be able to do this. That's not, that's not really why I'm doing it. Um, but to, to, to your point, I, I don't think you have to go out and run, you know, a hundred miles a week. Uh, you know, I was in the, I, you know, I, I'm in the gym Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, six o'clock in the morning, I class from six to seven, I head straight to work. Um, and I'm burning in between 800 and a thousand calories in an hour and it's just nonstop. And so I don't think that, I don't think I need to go out and go for a, you know, a, a 20 mile trail run every single day to be able to do this. Um, I think that it's important to get in there and get it done. I think that if I, if I was more of a traditional runner, uh, unfortunately I'd be sacrificing other aspects of my life that I'm not willing to sacrifice. And like you've touched on many times in, in the podcast, you know, family and work, work life balance is, is huge. And for me in the past, I've, I've gone into some, you know, when I was doing, when I was training for train to hunt the past two years, I, I went all in, especially the, you know, last year following, you know, losing my sister, I was, I was training a ridiculous amount of time, which, which actually put separation with me and my wife. And it was, it was tough because I was spending time training that looking back, I should have been, you know, spending time with, with her, which, which led into a, uh, an uncomfortable hunting season last year. And, uh, you know, my goal this year has been to find a balance in, in all of that. And, and I think, you know, 
training with a purpose and training with a, you know, uh, uh, strong focus in what you're doing is key. You don't need to train four hours a day, but when you are training, you need to go hundred percent in order to be able to maximize it. There it is, folks. Hope you wrote that down, put it into practice. Um, Charlie, I know you're busy, so I kind of want to wrap things up towards the end here, but, um, take us through the 2020 season, kind of, how are you setting yourself up to go elk hunting as much as possible, but still maintain a balance? What's on your radar? Are you playing the draw game? Are you just going over the counter Colorado? What are you thinking? Yeah. You know, I was actually on the computer yesterday looking at go hunt, trying to figure that out. I've been having a lot of communications with, uh, with my hunting partners, uh, and my wife trying to figure out how to make the most successful season, uh, how to go into season with, a, you know, the clearest mind, uh, both, uh, both mentally and physically prepared. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of torn this year. You know, I'm not, I'm not a big points guy. You know, I've only been in this game for so long, so I don't have a ton of points. Um, so I think that going into this year, I, I, I'm putting in, trying to draw a unit. If I don't, I'll be going over the counter. Um, you know, I, 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 I fell in love with antelope hunting last year. Uh, that's kind of my, my, uh, I guess that's when, when it comes to what you put on your plate, that's my, that's my go-to right there. So, uh, hopefully draw antelope archery tag, uh, probably elk over the counter, um, archery, and then, uh, try to pick up a late season deer tag, um, is, is going to be my game. Dude, antelope meat is awesome. And I, I kind of given up high country mule deer, you know, fuzzy velvet. I love hunting those mule deer in the Alpine, but just where I'm at in life, it's just, it's a lot easier to go do like two and four day hunt trips for antelope in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, haven't hunted them in Colorado. I know my good buddy Santinos Castellanos. Do you know him? Uh, I don't know him. We run uh, we run in a lot of the same circles. He shoots out of the same uh, range I do over at No Limits with Phil and the guys. Um, he's a he's a killer. Yeah, dude. He's one of my. But yeah, he always gets it done in Colorado. And speaking of No Limits archery, Phil Mendoza, the owner, he's ho- he's hosting an Elk Shape Camp 8.0. Uh, I'm trying to think when that is towards the end of April and uh, April 24th. Yes, that day. And uh, even Aaron Snyder's coming out of the woodwork. He's going to come help out uh, with some backcountry stuff. And uh, Aaron's a good dude and uh, should be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. would be love to, I'd love to get there early and connect with you. Maybe go for you, go with you on one of your runs and try to work on stuff. I suck at, I don't run a lot at all charlie i really don't uh i love running i feel like i was born to run i got just the perfect little chicken legs to run all day um it's incredible it's fun but i like running in the mountains and if i ran at altitude i would just get crushed so i might have to reach out to you once that gets closer and have you take me for a spin absolutely man if you can get here before that camp opens up it'd be great to get a you know get a gym session in then go hit the trail Definitely. And we, we usually get like an Airbnb because, you know, I'm bringing in Dirk and uh, Jeff Bynum and who else am I bringing? I think that's who I'm bringing on that one. We'll probably get an Airbnb. So I'll have to figure out where you live and try to get close to, to you so I can sneak in some training. Absolutely, man. I would love it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm going to be out of town on a hunting trip that weekend, but that, that course is going to be, uh, be one for the books. You've got a lineup uh, that's pretty much unmatched with those guys for sure. Yeah, we're going to bring Garth Jensen from Huntin' Full on here shortly. 
um, and talk about Colorado and all the changes. But let's do a prelude to that, and we'll finish here. What have you heard? What has changed with Colorado's application process? Yeah, I saw you, you posted it yesterday, and I appreciate you doing that. It got me digging into it. So the new regs with the over-the-counter, they're shutting down a lot of the, I guess, all of the southwestern uh, units for over-the-counter, which means everybody's going to be packing into uh, uh, the rest of the units, I guess, unless they're going to burn their points. So there's a lot of changes this year between them shutting down the over-the-counter units, but then also moving the, uh, the dates around. Um, so now it's September 2nd to I think September 30th. So season opens on a Wednesday this year rather than a Saturday. So that's a game changer. I'm a firm believer in opening weekend. Um, I've had. Yeah. End of August, right? That's when it used to be like the 25th ish. I've killed more bulls opening weekend. Um, than I have, I mean, I've killed, actually I've killed all my, all my bulls opening weekend. Well, you'll do it the same. It'll just be a different day. September 2nd. Um, when do the freaking muzzleloader guys get to come in there? Uh, I'm pretty sure they're stacking it in the third week. And this year it's going to be tough because season opens on a full moon. Third week is the best week to go this year. And they're going to bring in the muzzleloaders right on top of us. You know, if I was a muzzy guy, I would be all about Colorado. Like they, like to me, I can't believe more people don't do that. Like, Get your muzzleloader dialed into 80 to 100 yards. Get super confident and then go hunt the freaking peak rut in Colorado. You know what I mean? It's unreal to me. Yep. I, I, if I didn't enjoy the aspects of just shooting a bow and the therapeutic side of it, um, I would definitely be a muzzleloader hunter in Colorado, that's for sure. So the southwest part of Colorado, that's not like uh, the San Juans. That's something different? No, it's down towards the San Juans, yeah. Okay. I'm not too familiar. I mean, like I said, I grew up in, in the northwest part of the state, so that's my territory. But I know that they closed down uh, most of the units in southwestern part, um, and they're trying to get because numbers decline. But there's also some there's some good trophy quality down there too. So, and a guy like me sitting here with uh, maybe 14 points in Colorado elk, I'm praying people burn their points on some of that new, you know units so to speak that are now not going to be otc um we'll see i don't i'm not going to hold my breath but i will tell you that your front units are going to be wholly crowded i mean are you ready for that yeah i am because i do my i do my homework man i've got some <laughs> uh you got to think outside the box sometimes i've got some amazing hunting places uh where you can you know you can see stoplights and I've got some amazing hunting places that are 10 miles back. So you got to do your homework. You got to think outside the box and you got to be willing to put in the work to get away from everybody else. So uh, I think that's that's where the fitness comes into it is, you know, yeah, over the counter can get crowded. But uh, as, a, as a general rule of thumb, if you're willing to put in the work and get away from everybody. Yeah. Well, Colorado change. Every state's basically going to make changes. The only change you you can expect is more change i mean that's what's it's inevitable and we'll just have to you know roll with the punches so to speak so last question charlie on your thousand calorie assault bike challenge uh which i'm gonna do and i hate advertising because i don't want to do i don't want to be on a bike that long and the assault bike does seem to favor you know body weight you're 205 pounds i'm 155 pounds that's not an excuse that's just a, a caveat but what did you hold for watts or RPMs average 
to get it done in 56 minutes? Yeah, so <laughs> it's funny. I never thought this was going to turn into anything other than just me riding a bike, but it's turned into a pretty fun challenge for people to push themselves. So, um, yeah, I would encourage everybody to give it a try. Uh, I was holding for RPM, I was holding between uh, like right at 69.70 RPM. I think in watts, that's about 450 watts, I believe. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, but yeah, I did it in 56 and I think there's definitely some room for in, improvement. Um, so try to cut it to 50 and I'll be happy. I think my goal is just to get it done. Honestly, I haven't done a thousand calories straight up on the bike and I generally, when I get tired, I mean, it's a struggle to hold 60 RPM. It really is. And then if my buddy Jason Barkmeyer is listening, which uh, he might be out of New Mexico, he's another dude about your size, really strong, really powerful. And I think he might be somebody who could contend with your time if he's man enough. So if Jason, you're listening, I'm calling you out. Give it a shot. You have an assault bike in your uh, little garage gym. And honestly, garage gym people, buy an assault bike. They're like $6.99 free shipping and that bike will hold up forever in your garage gym and then you don't need to buy a rower you don't have to buy a ski erg you will have that bike there and then you can slowly trickle in a dumbbell or a kettlebell or make your own sandbag and you can kill yourself all day every day in the name of better elk hunting uh what's one other piece of garage gym equipment you would recommend charlie uh i think the best thing i have is a sandbag uh, i got a brute force sandbag that's my go-to um, but you'd be amazed at what you can find on Craigslist. There's a lot of people with weights in their garage that they don't use that you can pick up cheap. I've got, you know, I think I've got over a thousand pounds worth of weights sitting in my garage, uh, or in my basement right now with a cheap squat rack, sandbag, some rubber mats and a box. And that's really all you need. Um, you know, everything else comes from inside. Cool. Matt, Charlie, thanks for coming on. Um, what's your Instagram Facebook or whatever, YouTube, whatever you got out there in the interwebs, where can people check you out? Yeah, first off, I truly appreciate you bringing me on, man. Uh, my uh, my main social feed is going to be Instagram. It's at Charles Pappas, P-A-P-P-A-S. Uh, I do have Facebook. I didn't use it for about five years. Just recently started using it again. Um, so Charlie Pappas on there, but at Charles Pappas on Instagram. No YouTube, uh, not there yet. Just focusing on, uh, you know, trying to build up my uh, my harvest rate and go from there. Thank you so much for coming on. I I can't wait to meet you in April. I'm going to make it happen. And guys, do the Assault Bike Challenge if you have it. Tag Charlie, tag me so we can see what you do. And uh, man, appreciate your time, brother. Absolutely, man. I truly appreciate it. All right. Take care. And that's a wrap, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that. Charlie's a pretty cool guy. I think you guys could all agree. So there it is. If you have an assault bike, get on it. Get a thousand calories for time. If you break an hour, I will probably have to send you an elk shape hat. So email me and have some proof of some sort, time lapse, whatever. I am going to do it in probably 90 minutes and I'm going to be stoked about that and that's a long time to sit on that bike but I'm going to do it in the name of better elk hunting and more importantly mental preparation just kind of sustaining some torture session being uncomfortable thinking about all the other things I'd rather be doing but doing it in the name of better elk hunting 
You guys have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing ours. Have a great week. Continue to work hard towards your goals. Advertise them. And we'll catch you on the next one.